And so we had a wonderful prayer meeting this morning, um, and just through a number of conversations uh, with you, just a real sense that the Lord is wanting to speak. I think a very clear message to all of us, um, and I think it's around an intimacy with Him, I think it's around a drawing into Him. And so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Philippians 3, verse 3 to 16. If you have your apps, you obviously also welcome to open there. Philippians 3, 3 to 16. For it is we, says Paul, as he writes to the church in Philippi, who are of circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And essentially that's what it means to be a Christian, is one who worships in the Spirit of God, who boasts in Christ Jesus and who has no confidence in the flesh. That's a very quick, simple summary of what it means to be a Christian. Even though I too, says Paul, have a reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, if you think you're a puppet for the Lord, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, you think you're a good person under the law, I was blameless, says Paul. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard, or he's actually talking in the present tense, I am regarding everything as loss. Because of the surpassing value or the, the greater excellency of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, and some translations say faith of Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. That those of us then who are mature be of the same mind and think differently about anything this to God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have already attained. A beautiful portion of scripture just reminding us of the centrality of Christ in our lives and everything else should be in comparison to him absolute rubbish. And so he starts off by saying, actually, the simplicity of being a Christian, all that means is really one who worships in the Spirit, one who glorifies Christ, one who doesn't put any confidence in his own flesh. And that's what God is calling us to. But what he says secondly is that the Christian prizes knowing Christ above all else. What do you prize as being a Christian? Is it? I think many of us would have to admit that it is morality. In the sense, we want our lives to be cleaned up. Yes, that is good. But when someone asks you as a Christian, what is it that you absolutely value? What is it about Christianity? For some of us, it might be the church, and I'm incredibly grateful for this church. 
maybe leadership, God has blessed us with some incredibly loving and kind and merciful leaders. What Paul's saying here is that actually, the ultimate aim of being a Christian is to prize Jesus and intimacy with Him above every single other thing. Above prayer meetings, above reading the Bible. Um, yes, prizing Jesus above reading the Bible. Reading the Bible takes us to Jesus, so we'll get into that just now. But of all of your life, what is your most valuable possession? My children, great. My spouse, wonderful. Paul says, actually, as a Christ follower, your ultimate prize must be Jesus. Everything else finds its place when we have Jesus as our ultimate prize and our ultimate treasure. And so what Paul was saying is that all of these amazing accolades in his life, and for, for us, as I look around the room, I see incredible gifts. I see people who've done amazing things for the Lord, and not even for the Lord, but even incredibly well-studied people, great academics, people who've done incredibly many things for the good of mankind. But what Paul says is all of that stuff is rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And so Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. So what Paul's saying is that ceremony is not that important as compared to knowing Jesus. When it comes to being a Christian, ceremony is not that important. We celebrated Elias' baptism the other day, and just a beautiful moment of obedience to the Lord. But even that, while it's commanded by Jesus, is secondary to knowing the person of Jesus. Nothing we do as a church becomes the ultimate, well, this is the way we do things, this is what the Lord commanded. Yes, they have their place, but what is most important to you, Christian? It must be the person of Jesus. He says, I was a member of the people of Israel. So he's saying, my nationality, compared to knowing Jesus, means nothing. He says, I don't care if you're German, if you're Polish, don't care if you're black, if you're white, if you're South African. All of this, compared to knowing Jesus, falls away. I don't care whether you're vaccinated, whether you're unvaccinated. All of this, in light of knowing the person of Jesus, becomes rubbish to Paul. Not even secondary. It's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And so he pulls it down to something even smaller. So what is it? Maybe you're educated. Maybe you're a surfer. Maybe you're poor. All of these become like as many tribes that we're a part of. And Paul's saying, even that, like I value my surfing, it's wonderful that I value the surfers and I, I really love engaging with them. But compared to knowing Jesus, let's get rid of the ocean and all the surfers are. But he's saying, my wealth, my, my knowledge, my education, all of this, compared to Jesus, absolute rubbish. And he's saying, I was a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, and so even my language, even my accent. What was this? Compared to knowing Jesus, rubbish. He says I was a Pharisee, and so our denominations that the church has come up with, and even us non-denominations, becomes a denomination. Yeah. So what is our non-denomination better than other denominations? People say it's all rubbish. Compared to knowing the person of Jesus. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And so your temperament, your gifting that God has given you. Oh, I'm a leader, so I'm making more impact in life. So Jesus, it's rubbish. I'm so passionate for the Lord. I get to every Thursday morning prayer meetings. Rubbish. Do you know Jesus? 
Do you intimately know the Savior and the Lord of your life? Was previously just that look, I've never heard of All of this stuff, rubbish. As to morality, he says, as to the righteous under the law, I was blameless. I'm a good person, I never swear. Even when I play golf. Rubbish, it does take himself for himself, but it's rubbish. Compared to knowing Jesus. And Christians, it's so quick for us as we come to the Lord. Remember that day when we suddenly realized we had nothing? We suddenly start building upon that our morality, our good behavior, our gifting. We start building upon Christ, and suddenly those things again begin to be the thing that we present to God as the purpose of our acceptance. But God, I've been such a good person. But God, my leadership, you, you've allowed me to lead this church. Thank you. But like, look at me. And we think he's going to accept us because of that. Paul's saying it's rubbish. Only relationship with Jesus. And Paul was happy to lose these so-called advantages. We think of them as advantages, right? Mercury, such a great gift to Calvin and an ability for him to be able to reach into many people's lives. But that advantage for him can become rubbish if he starts thinking that that business and the organization and the gift that it is to people becomes the thing that God accepts him for. Yeah. It's a gift for him to use, but Jesus alone in relationship with him. That's what God looks at and goes, that pleases me. That pleases me, your relationship with Jesus. And so he takes all of these leg-ups or supposed benefits and Paul says, rubbish. Compared to knowing Jesus. He says, whatever gains I have, these have come, I've come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I am regarding everything as lost because it's surpassing value. Is knowing Jesus a surpassing value to you? That everything else in your life, like this thing is hampering my getting to know Jesus. He says, because that's what he's done. And for his sake, that he may gain Christ, that's the, the purpose of it. He suffers the loss of all these things. He's saying sometimes losing all of this stuff is the best thing that can happen to me. Because it gets me driven back into Jesus, the person of Jesus. In order that I may gain Christ. To gain him as a reward and as a treasure. And so even more than not important, Paul's realizing that actually to lose it might be the very best thing for him. Because there's only one thing that's pleasing and acceptable to God. And that is your love for Jesus. That's all. That's all. None of this other stuff matters in acceptance before God. Looking to anything else means we've only got two eyes that can only look in one direction, right? So the moment we look at anything else, we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. They've got to stay on Him. And as our eyes stay on Him, as our eyes stay on the throne, everything else finds its place. It's not that we lose those things, but they actually end up finding their proper place. If our eyes would stay on Him. Of incomparable worth is what Paul's saying. Everything else is of incomparable worth. Even that's pretty much winning. It's of incomparable worth to knowing Jesus. If the Springboks losing every other game left on this planet meant you would know Jesus better, would you take it? <laughs> and that loss, he says, the actual word that's used is done. And you know, there's far worse words that you could use. But he's basically saying this stuff is like a pile of steaming manure. In comparison to knowing Jesus. It's not just secondary. It's like coming before God if we present 
else to him, as we open our hands, hands of acceptance to him, if it's anything other than Jesus, it's like we're holding a big skinny pile of turf in our hands before him to say, God, please accept me. How ridiculous does that sound? But that's the reality of it. Paul saying nothing on this planet that you've ever achieved means anything to God other than knowing and loving the person of Jesus. We talk about a church that's growing in love for God and love for people. But you know, we really need it. We really want to grow in love for God. And love, as any spouse can let you know, is not just up here. I love the Lord because I read His Word. That means nothing. That's a genuine experiential love of God. And that's what Paul's calling us to and says is available to us. That's the beautiful part. Does the thought of anything drawing you away from intimacy with Christ, does that disgust you? Or is it just like, oh, I've got to wrestle this thing? Or does it actually disgust you? Does it draw you away from Jesus? What? I had to ask myself that question in, prep, in prepping for this. It's even an ability to preach and open up the word. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like people think, oh, ability to open the word. It's like a steaming pile before the Lord. I'm like, well, that's awful because I'm not valuable. That's why I'm But if it's drawing us to deepen intimacy with the Lord, sure, it has value. But the ultimate value is the intimacy with the Lord. Not what gets us there. Everything should be getting us there, aiming us there. And so being found in him, that terminology, that I'll do anything to be found in Christ. It's actually an incredibly beautiful term. Because it talks about both a factual being in Christ, so when we put our faith in him, we're actually in him. It happens. But then there's also an experiential part of that, yes? Or has your following of Jesus just become an intellectual one? Where I put my faith in him and sign in him and cool, I'll wait until the sun returns. Or are we taking Paul's promptings here and saying, guys, there's something far more in this. There's a zeal and a passion for Jesus. There's an intimacy of being in Christ that God is calling us to. It surely can't just be head knowledge. Because why? Because Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for that very thing. He's saying you read the scriptures, the head knowledge stuff, but you refuse to come to me. It's the me part. Come to be with me. That's the point of all of this. The people to be with him. And in him, you, in him you also, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, so we heard this gospel, put our trust in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption, as God's what? Our people. There's an intimacy, there's a closeness that he's calling us to. If we're just going to be a church that gathers together because that's what churches do, but if we're not growing as a community of intimacy and closeness with God, we've missed the point. We have. And the church has messed up a lot in the past. And when I say the church in the past, I'm including us. Because we end up making the structure, the thing, right? It serves the purpose of getting intimate with the Lord. But then the intimacy with the Lord becomes our secondary thing. And we stop protecting the structure. And end up missing the actual thing we're supposed to be called to, intimacy with Jesus. And so if we have to drop kick the structure, and I think the Lord has used COVID and could be powerfully for that, then we drop kick the structure as long as we're growing in intimacy with Jesus. But if the structure is going to serve us, 
sleep. We put it back up, we put up whatever structure is required, as long as it's drawing us to intimacy with Jesus. Can we all agree on that? Can we all be people who don't care about the structure as long as we're growing in intimacy with Jesus? Even if we ended up on the fields every day, but we're growing in intimacy with Jesus, standing in the rain, no coffee, Lord forbid it. <laughs> but could we count that all as a steaming pile in comparison to knowing Jesus? It sounds easier when we're all sitting before the Word there and the presence of God with us and the Spirit at work. Then life smacks us. Then we need to start making these decisions tomorrow. Is this thing that's in my life, is it drawing me away from Jesus? And if it is, am I disgusted with it? Not, I'm just resting with it, maybe three years, I'm not overcoming Are we disgusted with the fact that it's drawing us away from Jesus? Paul is speaking of an experience of nearness to Jesus. That's what he's fighting for. He can't be fighting for being found in Jesus as an objective thing that happens as a fact when we put our faith in Jesus. Because you're not going to wake up one morning and have accidentally fallen out of Christ. Do you realize that? He's holding us. And so his holding on to us is far more secure than your ability to hold on to him. So when you're in Christ, you're not going to wake up one morning and be like, oh, well, I fell out of Christ. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You can choose to do it, which is the very thing we're not going to get into Calvinism. It's getting very complicated. But what Paul's talking about is that experiential closeness to Christ and saying it's a very real thing. And it's all these other things that become more dear to us that draws us out of that experiential closeness. We've all surely had at least one moment of a test closer to Christ. Yes? I hope so, because that seal of the Holy Spirit is what that's meant to be. Paul uses it as if this is a clear marker for you, Christian, that you are saved, is that you have this experiential sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, I agree, I don't think it's every 24-7, every minute of the day that we feel this tight closest to the Lord, but if you've never had it, we need to pray for you. You really do, because you've got to experience the realness of God. Otherwise, this entire Ephesians is an absolute blood rubbish. Seriously. You can read this, there's a whole portion of in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, which means Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. We've got to fight for this nearness with Jesus. What he has gained, Paul says, is to know Christ and know him. What he means by knowing is gaining Christ and being found in him. There's nothing more intimate than that. Being in Christ. It's not that he's just my buddy alongside me. It's not that he's just the Lord on the throne. But he's in me and I'm in him. Intense intimacy with the Lord. And to be in Him means what? It means that He becomes our home. Think about that. Jesus becomes your home. What is a home? Place of safety, place of provision, place of comfort, place of intimacy. That's what Jesus is meant to be for us. Yes, we have our salaries, yes, we go buy food and it feeds us. But actually, that intimacy with Jesus is really where we go to be home. And for some of us who have actually perhaps been away from home for way too long, I think the Lord's calling us back to intimacy with home. We find intimacy in the world and we fight so hard for it. 
But Jesus is saying, that's like the, the look, the comparisons for intimacy you can experience with me. And I feel that as we're heading into December time, and we may not be meeting together in the building, but we're going to be going through some stuff together as life groups. God wants us to just turn our attention to intimacy with Him. Because He's the only true place of comfort we're going to find. He really is. I was chatting to Philip this week just about, I mean, all the wonderful benefits we have on this, right? Doctors and psychologists and medication. There's, there's a vast amount of benefits we have on this planet. But Philip used a beautiful term. He said, but we engage with those things with suspicion. So we look at these things, okay, this is a benefit, but is this drawing me away from Jesus? Help me to get to the Lord, but I'm, I'm going to use this with suspicion. So it's not that we chuck everything out and we just like to become monks somewhere. It's engaging everything on this planet with suspicion. As long as it takes us to Jesus, it's all. And I really love that, and I think it's what God's calling us to. To really grow in the love for Him. And what happens when we do get to the space of being found in Christ? Paul describes it. He says, firstly, being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. When we're found in Christ, we will find powerful righteousness at work in our lives. So when God, or the Holy Spirit, or even a friend highlights possible moral weaknesses in your life, has that ever happened to you, your spouse maybe? We highlight these weaknesses in our lives, and then we try to attend to them, huh? with our own strength. Whatever, what happens? Sort it out for maybe three minutes, right? And then it seems to come back seven times worse. Because what Paul's saying here is that actually the answer to righteousness and moral living is not for you to try and be moral and righteous. It's to get into Christ. Because His righteousness, the more we're with Him, we become like Him. And so we're no longer trying to be moral because of the law. We're trying to be moral because Jesus makes us want to be right. Which Christians, that's got to be the freedom He's called us to. Every other religion, every other mindset, every other plan we have gets us to try to be righteous and moral and it's just exhausting because we don't have what it takes. We don't. The answer when we're falling in sin is not to try and sort out the sins, to dive deep into it. That's the answer. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I want to know Christ. And so being found in Christ also means to grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Not just, I know Jesus. Let me tell you the 10 theories I know of the Lord Jesus Christ. How to say his name in 33 different ways. He's like, whatever. Get to know me. The person of me. And by getting into him, we get to know him. Get to know the person of Christ. The living person. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that testify on our behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Christ is saying, everything we have on this planet is at our disposal. It's only at our disposal. It's not the end goal. The end goal is intimacy with Jesus. So as you're surfing, draw you closer to Jesus, then praise God. If it's drawing you away from Him, treat it like rubbish. Everything to help us to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Thirdly, being found in Christ means that we will experience the power of resurrection. What does that mean? 
Do you know how much power it took to resurrect Jesus from the dead? It's the ultimate power because you know it never happened to anybody before. It's the ultimate power of heaven. And what Paul's saying is that the power of his resurrection is made available to us when we are found in Christ. And so that sin that so easily entangles us that we can't overcome, when we're in Christ, all the power of heaven is made available to us. To overcome sin, to remove idols, to bear witness to Christ. Do you ever feel there's a moment where you want to bear witness to Christ and you're humming and hawing, you're not so sure what to say? We need resurrection power to be able to witness with courage and with boldness, but also with love. It's, we can't do any of this in our own power. The Christian walk is not to be done in our own power. This fear that you can't overcome, it's not going to be overcome by human strength. I don't care who tries to help you with it. It's a resurrection power that's going to overcome fear. It's a lot stronger than we think it is. The ability, that desire, does anyone here desire to want to pray more? How's it going? How's it working out for you? We need resurrection power. We need the Holy Spirit who causes us to desire to pray, but then also to get up at quarter past five in the morning to actually do it. We can't do it in human strength. We've got to be in Christ. Fourthly, he says we will experience fellowship in the sharing of this suffering. We don't want that part, right? Let's just move along. We'll be in Christ and do a whole bunch of other stuff. But what he's saying is sharing the sufferings by becoming like him in death. Do you know what the beauty of that is? Is that the two things, at least I fear, I don't know about you, suffering and death. Everything else I think I can figure out. I can get through it. Hardcore, you know. But suffering, not so keen. And death, not so keen. But what Jesus does, he comes and redeems both suffering and death. Because through suffering, we then end up abiding more in Christ and becoming like Him. So suffering can be a really good thing. And then what does death do? Ushers us into His presence. I mean, it's like the best thing that can happen to us. Suffering is the second best thing that can happen to us, and death becomes the best thing that can happen to us. We end with all this stuff. No more masks in that place, though, you look. There's definitely a big coffee, right? And I'll stop with the coffee jokes. But isn't that incredible? The greatest fears and challenges of your life overcome in Christ. You're not going to just psych up and not be afraid of suffering. Suffering is not going to happen. And to just look one day and go, it's just going to be easy. It's okay. Sure. Wait till you're there. But if we're found in Christ, it becomes the most holy moment. It becomes the moment our Savior gets to be there. We heard a story maybe was sharing with me. Someone was saying as a, a medic, one of the most times that they are grateful for, while well, it sounds absolutely messed up, but one of the times that they're most grateful for is when people do pass away, because they're going, this is a moment that the Lord is here, they're like, this is a holy moment, obviously they're trying to save their life, but when that person does pass, they're like, the Lord is here, because he's come to fetch them, and suddenly the fear of suffering and the fear of death become these beautiful expressions in this life, we're no longer going to feel them, we can actually embrace them because they make us more like Christ. And lastly, Paul says the fifth thing that happens when we're in Christ is that we reach the reward of resurrection. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You know, every human being is going to face eternity, right? Either to judgment or to life. 
Every one of us. So what Paul's saying is, I'm going to finish this thing that I'm at. Give eternal life. And because Jesus is just ridiculously generous, when we're obedient to him, he gives us. I still haven't figured that thing out. Do this? We do it, and then he gives us. And so there's rewards, Paul said. So he's not talking about that objective salvation. He's talking about the subjective, that experiential relationship with Jesus where I live in obedience to him, but I live because I'm going to live well. That when I pass through this world and through the battle into the next, and he comes and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here, come, feast with me. Here's your reward. Here's your mansion in heaven. And Celia, I often think about you with this. She gets most of the 42. What happens there? <laughs> Our measure of mansions and homes on this planet is so skewed. So skewed. I mean, our heroes become Elon Musk's, the guys who've mastered the market and made all the money flow to the street. God's looking at all this stuff and then rubbish, 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 a big pile there, rubbish. And I'm hazard to guess, Celia's going to make two million. Because she considered everything else as a rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And I think Paul's really onto something here, that this is not a removed religion, that we're saved and now we've just got to get through this thing. It's a daily call to intimacy, a daily call to walking by the Spirit, moment by moment, depends upon and every decision we need to make. Lord, there's a tough moment here, this is a gray area, if I do this I might be able to save on taxes, this is great, Lord, what do I do here? In that moment, it's not about the Lord. It's about the heart of Christ telling you what to do in that situation. But that doesn't make sense. You're wasting a lot of money. I know, but the Lord's calling you to give it away. This stuff doesn't make sense. And the counter all is rubbish compared to getting to know you. The question then is how do we press into it? How do we press into it? If you've got your Bibles, please open them at Philippians 3, where we were. Verse 12 to 16. Give it a quick read, Philippians 3, verse 12 to 16. How do we attain this reward that Paul's talking about? Shout out to Moses. How do we press into Christ? How do we abide in Not that I have already obtained this, all have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus, that those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this to God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have Attending. There's a number of things there. Read it again quickly. What is Paul saying we can do to try to attain this reward? How do we press into Christ? Shout out some answers as you Forgetting what lies behind. Yeah? Talks about a calculated forgetfulness, right? You're going to calculate what we need to forget. We need to forget that great 
whatever you did last week, because that thing is rubbish before the Lord. The moment you start standing on your accolades, is the moment you start moving away from the supplying place. And so what he's saying here is you need to calculate forgetting, especially our successes. I'm looking at Good? Focusing on eternity. Focusing on eternity. Brilliant. A forward-looking vision for the future. What lies ahead? Surely that's worth living for. Surely that's worth diving into Christ for. Thinking too much of ourselves. Brilliant. Part of that calculated forgetfulness. Let's forget ourselves. Trusting that he's holding on to us. Trusting that he's holding on to us. Brilliant. Um, just be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. Unity. We've got to fight for unity. Fight hard for unity. Forceful. right. Aggressive. I like it. Spiritual stubbornness and ambition. Passion. Passion. Zeal. Zealous for the Lord. Absolutely. Being in Christ. So actually in order to grow, being in Christ basically is being Christ. Sounds weird. At the moment we start trying to lean on our own strengths, on our own humanness to get into Christ, we end up bringing sinfulness and brokenness to try and get into Jesus. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Not falling into the trap of thinking that I've arrived. That I've arrived. Yeah. Brilliant. So he says, not that I've already obtained this. What's he talking about? This is going to take time. Philip, it's going to take time. Abiding in Christ is going to take time. But then at the same time, Philip said in these last 86 years, I can't believe rubbish compared to getting to know Christ. The moment Philip starts leaning on his last 86 years, he starts moving away from Christ. He's been grateful for them, and I'm incredibly grateful for those 86 years. But he needs to count with rubbish. Press on now, still taking time, still taking time to press into Christ. Now, I think there's also a sense of honesty and realism. So Paul's saying it's like, I, I haven't, I'm, not, I'm not there yet. Like, let's just be honest. I'm the worst of sinners. It's just an honesty and a realism. If we're going to abide in Christ, we need to be real. And I think there's one thing I've learned about this family church. Is that I feel like we're real with one another. When we're going through struggles, I feel like we can truly talk about that. We have to put on this best foot forward and the holy pastor goes in the dark. And actually, when we're struggling, we can talk about it. So all these things, and I'll send the fuller list on the groups and so you can read them there. But the answers are right before us, guys. They're right there. You don't need the brilliant preacher, but the preachers are gifted to bring the word across us that the Lord's given them for. It's stuff for us to engage with. For us to find ourselves with Christ. And so my question is, how valuable is Christ to you? How valuable is Christ to you? Any other team is proposing. Has your view of Christ faded over the last Maybe it's not, so don't, don't just always think of the negative. Maybe it's in a regular place for the Lord. Keep it there. Keep it there. 
Perhaps you've never surrendered to this Jesus. Perhaps you've never, oh, you mean Christ, you've given all up to me, and then yes, you do. May today be that day where you come to Jesus and go, you know what, Lord, I actually have nothing to offer you. I need all of you and none of you. I give my life to you. Perhaps that will be you today. But also want us to go from this place, not in a theoretical space, not just going, oh, lovely, trust in the word there, okay, cool, but actually for us to move forward. Then in all of our gatherings, could we set as a target for all of our gatherings intimacy with Jesus? When we gather on a Sunday here, it's wonderful to be together, but could we set our goal to be growing in intimacy with Jesus, to find ourselves abiding in Him? That our midweek meetings are not just kids laughing at us, but hanging with them. Uh, Mel makes us like a cookies, awesome. But yes, it's cool. But as we gather together, it's aimed for intimacy with Christ and experiential. Can we expect it? Can God be truly present Himself with His people? Can we go from here with a zeal for the Scriptures? Not because we want to know the Bible, because we want to know Jesus. Practical. Can we earn our incomes that we may use them lavishly on Christ? Whatever He wants us to do with them, and looking after your family is part of that. I'm not just saying give it all away. But it's to say, Jesus, stuff the 10%, 100% is yours. What do you want me to do with it? Lavishly spend it on raising our kids. Can we raise our kids with Christ? And raise them up into that space, not into a religion, not into a church necessarily, into a relationship with Christ. Imagine from such a young age, learning and knowing what it means to abide in Christ. See, even now as we sing, that they're not just words, they're trying to abide in Christ. Remember, Christians, we worship God, glorify Christ. That's what we do. That's what makes a Christian a Christian. That's what we do. We lift Him up. So even as we sing now, and God draw us into His Son, we find Him speaking to us, and intimacy with Him. If there's someone around you that you want to pray for you, we can, we can have a moment if you want to come up front, if you want everybody to pray with you, we can do that. If you want to find somebody next to you that actually is just really want this experience of the presence of God, I just need to pray for you. You don't need to be glowing in the dark in order to pray for somebody. What you're doing is reaching out to God. You're going to trust Him for that. Let's be a people who find ourselves even now, but open our voices are fighting in him. Let's stand together.